Hey gang, welcome to episode 125 of the No Persinium podcast, the voice of everything immersive. I'm Noah Nelson, coming to you from No Pro headquarters in Los Angeles. This week on the show, we have Vance Garrett, a storied immersive and experiential producer. He's He's been around the block more than once, and that has led to him becoming the vice president of experiential global entertainment for Westfield, Westfield being the retail shopping center giant um if you if you live in a major metropolitan area you you probably have a westfield somewhere close to you um more on that in a moment uh but first just gonna do a tiny bit of business and indeed it's just a it's a one guest episode uh today um the patreon uh, we recently crossed the 100 backer threshold, and we are just $60 away from our next goal, which is $600 a month, which is really impressive. Uh, I want to thank Tyler Zawaski for becoming our latest backer, n- backer number 101 on our way to the 200 mark. And of course, the sustaining backers of the show are Ross Sigworth, Bradley Smith, and Alani Hanson. Um, if you want to become a backer of the show, uh, which is also a backer of the newsletter, the website, the work we do over at Everything Immersive, all that stuff, uh, go to patreon.com slash no proscenium. We're not drips. No, no. We're old-fashioned Patreons. A uh, little crowdfunding, quote-unquote, humor. Um, can't be a dad joke, because I'm not a dad. Um, although, if I was... I'd have so many dad jokes. Anyway, um, hey, uh, this is going to be a relatively quick episode. Uh, next week will be a bye week. Uh, we are recording a couple of episodes over this weekend, but I just want to take some time to kind of catch up, bulk up, get ready for the end of the year. Uh, there's a lot going on. More on that, maybe, in the rant section at the end. It won't really be a rant. Uh, I don't know. Maybe I'll start talking at a turn. But let's set up uh, today's interview, which is with Vance. Uh, Vance and I, uh, we're, we're going to mention at the top that, like, you know, we, we kind of don't remember when we first started talking to each other. That's sort of the way it is, because it's a small universe here. But I've definitely been aware of Vance for a very long time. Uh, he was, he's going to describe his career to you, so I'm not going to steal his thunder here. Um, but... I wanted to talk to him because uh, he landed in L.A. not too long ago, and we we don't get into details on what he's doing over at Westfield these days. They're they're playing it close to the vest, which is something I can appreciate. Um, but I wanted to take this opportunity to sort of introduce him to you as a, a figure in this world and get some background on on his career path from. Well, like I said, you'll see. Well, let me sell it to you a little bit. You know, he was uh, he was one of the original producers on Sleep No More in New York and did a bunch of work at places like Refinery 29 for 29 Rooms, worked in the Museum of Ice Cream. So that's that's the pathway here. And now he's at Westfield. And there's there's this um, I don't want to say trend line because it's not really a trend line. I mean, can someone else sort of replicate Vance's career? I don't know. But if Vance's career is um, 
if it's a sign of anything, it's a sign of what this immersive world could be. And plenty more about that um, maybe in on the back end. Um, but let's uh, let's dive in here to this week's episode interview with Vance Garrett. So Vance, we first talked on the phone, like what, a year ago? It was probably a year ago. I feel like I've known of you or um, have been aware of your being for much longer than that. But for some reason, I don't even remember what the impulse for it was, but we got on the phone about a year ago when I was still living in New York. Yeah, I can't can't remember what it was either. I mean, I know that you you were one of the you were one of the producers on Sleep No More. I was the quote unquote supervising producer for Sleep No More. So yeah, yeah, I was the executive producer's producer guy who uh, (laughs) was supposed to know (laughs) everything about everything. That was what one of the exact producers told me my job was to be. I have to know everything about everything. Oh my goodness! um, So yeah, I was part of the team that got to launch that baby. And and at that time when we talked, like I think I. Recently met Jenny Weinblum and John O'Malley, and I think Two that's of my how. favorite people on the planet. Yeah, yeah. I, think yeah. That, I think that's what connected us. I can't. That I can't makes sense. Yeah. yeah, but then you came out here this year uh, to for your new job at Westfield. That's right. Yeah. Um, but what I wanted to talk to you about isn't so much that or what they're doing because um, I, I know there's stuff down the road and probably stuff you can't talk about. Right. But I wanted to talk about this career path because right. you. Because your career path sort of mirrors, not the path of immersive right now, but it, it, it's one of the roads, mm. right? Like, I, I feel like there's all these different roads in immersive. Well, that's sweet to hear that it's a road and a path, because <laughs> while you're on it, it feels like you're just stumbling in the darkness. But Well, you're the first one on it, so you are stumbling in the darkness. <laughs> yeah. But after you've trod the path, there's like, oh, hey, yeah. someone was uh, here. someone, like, buried, <laughs> stepped on some weeds, and there's a way... <laughs> to uh, get through it all. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I've been doing whatever this thing is, it feels like, for a minute now. Um, You know, started off, honestly, with... I was a theater kid. I grew up being a music theater performer, and I thought that was going to be my whole life. So started doing that when I was in kindergarten and did it in Chicago for a long time. Went to um, Northwestern, got, got a degree that was super convoluted but theater and music theater was a part of it and Mm. when I graduated I left to go to New York and that was in 2001 and um, you know it was a different world when I moved to New York and very quickly um, I I got there and you know the whole city changed with 9-11 and I didn't want to be on Broadway so much I realized I wanted something more interesting or something a little deeper than what I was um seeing on the stages of Broadway and from there discovered nightlife <laughs> <laughs> was was bartending and um, meeting everybody and and the funny thing was I always I loved nightlife I loved the big party scene in New York not because um, I necessarily wanted to drink the night away that wasn't that wasn't the thing but to me it looked like theater it looked like Mm. really exciting theater where everybody was in on the story it wasn't just 
this invisible fourth wall separating the action out from the audience members. Like everybody was in there and the lights were flashing and the stakes were really high and the music was fantastic. And it really won my heart. And um, I got to uh, work on Black Party at Roseland Ballroom and work with the Sand at Large, which is the production company that produces that and Love Ball and all these other experiences. And, you know, underneath it all, I was always a, a theater boy and that love never went away, but I was getting deeper into nightlife and sort of booking the DJs out on Fire Island and had a lot of fun with that. And then I uh, was tasked with writing treatments, writing effectively scripts for parties for the Santa at large. Huh. And that was really fun. It was really fun to come up with the stories that a party was going to play out and what's the role that the audience is going to play or what the guests are going to play and what's the the arc that um, they'll be able to all get their teeth into and understand. And Had that been just sort of the tradition that those parties had stories in them or was that something that was emerging at I the time? I think it was emerging at the time. The The producer behind it, Stephen Pevner, was a literary agent and a film producer and uh, you know, a, a theater producer in New York. And I don't know if it was specific to him or if um, where the ideas came from, but he liked to endow the, the parties with a real treatment, with a real story, with a mm. real theme, often super provocative. For that audience, it was, you know, provocation was the name of the game, or for that party. Black Party, um, specifically. And I don't know, like, it just it, it resonated with me. I, 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 I loved thinking about it as grand theater. And um, it was a really fun job. It was here, come up with what, <laughs> what the arc of the night is. It's a five-act play. What's, what's the invite look like? <laughs> what is, what's the prologue? What's waiting in line supposed to look like? And, you know, often our ideas... <laughs> were much bigger than what we could have ever executed. <laughs> and I don't know if anyone who ever came to the parties ever understood that there was um, a deeper thought holding the whole thing together. I don't know if that's what anyone's experience was. Hmm. I think they did. I think they could feel that there was a consideration holding the whole 6,000-person party together. I think they can feel it. But you never know. Yeah. You never know. At and that scale, that I mean, 6,000 people, yeah, that's, 6, pe- that's, like, that's hard to communicate to that many people at once if it's not a giant spectator spectacle. That's, no, yeah, that's you like know, high school football plus <laughs> scale. That's college well, football Well, we learned a lot from that. You know, you learned hmm. that the invite, the very first impression, um, is the prologue. And that's 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 the way into the story. And then... Uh, we would create a trailer, this you know, 90-second long piece of video art that would set the tone for everything. And that was the way in. That was the exposition. And then once someone got into the space, once they crossed the threshold, you don't really have control over them anymore. They, everyone had self-agency to do whatever they wanted to do. It was a party, except for the music and the lighting. The music would be the backbone that would really carry everyone through the night. And the lighting designer, of course, um, would work off of what the DJ was feeding him. So, um, yeah, no. 
6,000 people, you're not giving them a really intimate experience. <laughs> it's a totally different thing. And the details may be lost on, on, um, on that crowd. But, you know, that's a different experience. That's more of like a Bacchanal. That's more of a, um, I don't know. I see it as theater, but it's probably not. Um, you don't get the same form of catharsis from it as you would saying a proscenium show. So right. that was my yeah. So that was my way into uh, the. I, I would say the beginnings of immersive theater. To me, it felt like immersive theater. And then I was keeping tabs on what was happening on the other side of the pond with um, the movement there and kept hearing about this company called Punch Drunk and um, saw pictures of what they were doing in the old Vic Tunnels for Tunnel 228, and I thought it was spectacular. I thought it was amazing. And then sure enough, I heard that they were going to be doing a show called Sleep No More up in Boston with ART, and I went to go see it and deeply fell in love with it immediately. Um, Reached out to one of the guys who I heard was either getting the rights to it or was going to produce it in New York, Randy Weiner, um, and hit him up and said, I want to be a part of this. And he offered me a job. And <laughs> there you have it. And then um, I got to be part of that that team that, that launched it in New York. And it was a really special moment. So it was and great. working nightlife, you had that resume. Because if, if memory serves, like Randy had come from a, a nightlife. Yeah, yeah. Well. Randy... Randy uh, Started off in theater as well, I believe. And he ran, he created The Donkey Show with um, his wife, Diane. And that merged night, you know, it was nightlife and theater combined. He opened up the box. He was one of the owners of that, which was absolutely nightlife. Yeah. Legendary. And legendary. Infamous in some ways. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's where I had my 30th birthday party. Uh, um, that's all I'm going to say about that. <laughs> that's all I'll say. But uh, yeah, I mean, it was, you know, Randy knows how nightlife works and knows how to promote something. And um, he won't drink a drop in the bar there, but he knows the mechanics of how that world works. And and sure enough, I had experience with that as well. You know, I knew how party promotion works. I knew who the cool kids in the city were who people were watching and um, people would talk about or or more so who would talk about the party that they were going to. And mm. I think in a lot of ways, Sleep No More, from my point of view, um, well, it definitely embraced the nightlife part of it, unquestionably. Oh, yeah. Yeah, unquestionably. And the word of mouth on that show, I mean, I think by the time I saw it, or it was even hurt. When did you see it? it? When did you see it? Oh, gosh. It... <clears throat> Probably uh, 2013. So okay. by then, I think it had already been on Gossip Girl and everything. But yep. like, I didn't, I didn't watch Gossip Girl. So like, I think I had seen maybe a promo for it while, while trying to watch like another yeah. CW show. Uh, is it the CW? It's WB. I can't remember anymore. Who can um, say? Potato, potato. I don't know. UPN. Uh, no. <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't know. But uh, I, I was aware of that it existed. I, I was aware that. But no one had sort of sold me on it. And then it was some friends from the transmedia and the Imagineering world who were like, no, you really got to go. You got to go catch this thing. So I went back and, and saw it. But, cool. but that was the thing was that like, it, it was word of mouth. It was the person I knew who knew somebody who had gone yeah. to see it and was like, 
that sort of initiation process. It's always word of mouth. Yeah. Right? It's all, or at least for nightlife, it's word of mouth. Everything we do, I mean, it's funny. When when I was sitting across from someone from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting in like the second year of Twitter or something like that, and they were having a hard time understanding it, and I just said, look, it's just word of mouth, except now we can track the metrics. That's all it is. There's no it's difference. It's a simple way of articulating it. Yeah. It's a clear way of understanding it. Yeah. yeah. It's just, and, and now that's everything now. It's just, it's digital word of mouth, but it's mm-hmm. still word of mouth. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and when something's going to be, when it's culture, it's really got to come from someone who you trust or admire or who you want to be right. like you know right yeah the word of that uh, word of mouth for that show was it's pretty crazy i mean you have you've had john o'malley on here and a host of others i mean i remember um during the early days before the show opened john o'malley would literally tour people through that space person after person after person so that they could see it, get excited about it, and then they would go talk about it with all their friends. And that, that for a while, I mean, I don't want to put words in his mouth or um, speak to his experience, but I just remember seeing him uh, getting really good at giving tours of that venue. And whatever he said about the space, I don't know. Um, it, it helped It helped fan the flames of excitement for it. And, you know... It caught fire. Yeah, it definitely caught fire. How does... So your nightlife to sleep no more to mm-hmm. working with... Uh, Theater refi- to nightlife to sleep no more to then <laughs> yeah. who knows what. Yeah. Well, and, and to things like Refinery29 and, yeah. and and that world. So like, what, what projects of that nature oh, have, man. You, have you helped shepherd? Um, in different capacities, I... I uh, I've worked on 29 rooms. I was I worked with Refinery 29 on a smaller project the the, the year before that. This country club that they created with um, BMF with an agency called BMF um, and two guys who now own uh, the Gallery. And yeah, uh, you know, 29 rooms. They I, I was the producer slash project manager for that the. They brought me in house for about three or four months to launch that. Um, we can we can talk about that more in a second if you want. But yeah. of that ilk, that is things that have a massive Instagram footprint. Um, from there, you know, I, I did Museum of Ice Cream, launched that in New York as the producer. Did Hall of Magic for uh, Mash Studio, now known as Makeout. That was for The Magicians, the sci-fi show, mm. which also had a, a massive Instagram footprint. And man, you know, those projects are so different from where it all started off. You yeah. know, where the, the nightlife that I was doing in the beginning, you couldn't even have your camera in there. You couldn't have your phone <laughs> in there. It was like, no cameras allowed. Yeah. Absolutely. And now it's the opposite, where it's everything is considered for the camera for the phone very very different so it's been a it's been a very interesting arc to see that happen so did they headhunt you to like to to, to bring to bring you into 29 because um that was that was because of my relationship with it was a couple things it was from nikki and luigi who are with the gallery um there was a guy named darren bresnitz who i've who 
I had known for a long time. His brother, Greg, works for the Ace Hotel. I used to hire, I used to hire them as DJs out on um, Fire Island. It's all, it's, it's a small little world in New York at the end of the day. Um, yeah. Small little but they, world they knew in who LA I was. too. Yeah, 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 they just knew who I was. And yeah. I think they liked that I had the credit of Sleep No More, and I think they knew that they wanted for 29 rooms for Refinery 29's 10-year anniversary to do something that was really large thinking, large scale, um, something that had all these different episodic moments, something that was experiential and... God bless them. They reached out to me to help be a part of that team. And it was definitely a team. I don't want to... <laughs> there were many, many people involved in making that project happen. But did, it, I mean, it did was they fun. En- did they envision it as a multi-year thing? Because they start off as, I guess, the anniversary. So was it just like, hey, let's throw this the yeah, most epic party I mean, ever. And then, oh, God, people love this. I think a, a little unclear. That would probably be a question for um, Albie Houston, who's... Um, at Refinery29 as a creative director who really leads the creative for 29 Rooms now. But I think at the time, it may have been a conversation between he, um, Darren, Piera, who's you know the executive creative director of, of Refinery29, the guys at the gallery. Um, it was probably a conversation between all of them. And I think, you know, you always hope that when you do something that there'll be such demand for it that it continues year after year. But I think the impulse was a celebration for the 10 year anniversary for this media company, um, not knowing where it would go. And I remember in the early conversations, just talking internally with the Refinery29 team, it was hard to articulate what this thing was. I remember people would look at us kind of cross-eyed or, or like, you know, the, the in-house editors weren't fully engaged in the concept. They just couldn't understand what is this thing. And, you know, it was great. Like, it, it just worked out really well. So God bless Albie and Piera and the whole team for seeing something and making it happen and inviting me to be a part of it. What do you think the attraction to that form, the Museum of Ice Cream, this sort of, yeah. you know, the you know, as some people say, you know, the Instagram, Instagram galleries, Instagram as it playgrounds, were, yeah. the playgrounds. But, I mean, on the one hand, yeah, like, great photos, like, you know, ooh, look at me, and a thing. But it, it's got to be something more than that, right? Or It's a great question. It's something that keeps me up at <laughs> all the time thinking about it. It's, I, you know, it could be as simple as people just want to be seen and they want to be a part of that thing, that hashtag that a lot of eyes are going to be on. It could be that simple. I think... I remember at the beginning, at the early days of 29 Rooms, I thought there's a really lovely sweetness to it. And I don't mean saccharine, but there was something really lovely about it, that it was this digital company that was creating something for real, live human beings, for in the flesh. It was creating Mm -hmm. a space for this possibly scattered audience to actually commune and get together in real time. And I remember seeing that there was a line that formed the first day that it was open, that kept growing and growing and growing and was stretching out into the street and you realize oh my god it's going to be an hour two hours three hours before anyone gets in there and and i still don't know why that happened but maybe it was because people were so hungry to have a real life experience or get to touch that brand or um you know use their senses or see one another have a conversation 
unclear. It's still a, it's still a mystery. Yeah. We don't know, you know, the, the easy criticism is that people just want a selfie and we're all narcissistic and we all, you know, I mean, we some, all want that. Some of that stuff I got to be going on. I mean, I remember when the 14th factory was open here mm-hmm. and, and there was this one the moment. Simon Birch. Yeah, yeah. There was this one moment where Annie Saunders of the wilderness had like put a, a dance piece together in like the, the grassy area yeah. with the swings. And it was absolutely, it was only going to be done that one day. It was absolutely beautiful. Um, and meanwhile, there were just these like you know millennials who were just like obsessed in getting like the perfect framed shot, yeah, uh, selfie framed shot, right? And were seemingly very annoyed that these dancers were doing a <laughs> dance piece, a dance piece that was going to evaporate, right? You know, yeah. a dance piece that would never be seen again by by any human being. And I just was like, wow, that's just, I like, know it's it's absurd. It's it's um. It is a different generation. It's yeah. a different generation. And I don't want to um, pass judgments on yeah. it. It's, 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 but, it, you know, it's a, it's a reality of um, events and experiences now. People often want to have their picture taken inside of it. Or yeah. they want they, well, they always they have a moment. Right? Always. I mean, I mean, people Disney, was... Disney. Yeah. Disney was... Yeah. Um, Somehow right. they still have the photo pass, and they still sell that to people. I don't. Do they? I, I don't understand. There's people roaming the parks, and they 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 haven't shut it down completely, which means that somebody's still buying. I I mean I don't know how. I haven't been to. I've never been to Disneyland. I need to go. Oh yeah, I'm yeah, here. Yeah. Um, and I think the last time I went to Disney World, I was four years old. So I'm probably due for a. Yeah. Uh, visit again. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely, because like the way they, I mean, the way they set up the parks, um, there's a lot of this kind of thinking goes into it i mean it's just like it it is interesting in that there's something performative i mean you look at youtube you look at instagram you look at stories on insta like everyone's performing their lives sometimes totally you know totally Um, theater is um what is it something being done by someone to be watched by someone else yeah that's what my freshman year college professor said and you know instagram is theater you're performing you're putting on a show you're broadcasting out to mm. a following. Um, it's interesting. It's something I think a lot about. But um, I don't want to vilify. No, I mean, I love those experiences. They can be done great. They can yeah. be amazing. I just think it gets a little tricky when it's just a photo shoot and there's not something else rooting it and something deeper for my own taste, for yeah. my own proclivities. This this need to have... I mean, that's the thing. is like when it's... When it seems really compelling is when there's some sort of message behind it. You know, it's yeah. like it's like with any piece of art. You know, like is there yeah. is there something beyond just like oh this was cool? Like here's this cool cool thing, but it's like oh there's there's the one something that gets back to the the parties. Yeah. They were provocative. You know, they were provocative. Totally. Yeah, I mean, I did the Hall of Magic again with the guys from um, Mash Studios now Makeout. And part of the fun of that project was it was fully considered for Instagram and Snapchat. And yet it was also considered for the live human being. It was the sound, the sound um, choices, you know, it was, it was to wake you up, um, to connect with you emotionally in that space in real time. Mm. There were small performative moments with, um, um, 
actresses who knew how to like connect with people eye to eye and have a real conversation. And I, I just loved, I love seeing the progression of, um, the Instagram experience also consider the live human being at the same time. So we'll see where it goes to be continued. Have you watched from post sleep no more and 29 rooms and museum of ice cream? Have you, have you watched this world expand and grow? Oh yeah. It's crazy growing. I mean, um, we launched again, uh, the original producer on Museum of Ice Cream that was absolutely, from my point of view, inspired by 29 Rooms or influenced at the very least. Um, And that was a sensation and continues to be. And now you see other things that are coming up. The Color Factory or Happy Place is coming up and um, Candytopia. You know, there's so many of them that are coming. I and I have tickets to them. I'm gonna go see them. I can, I, I, I want to see. I want to see how the experience is for the live human being. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's an interesting time. Yeah. Do you see a lot of people from the the immersive theater world, or like, or I guess what yeah. kind of what kind of disciplines are being brought in to work on these particular installation oh great question um i can't i can't speak for those ones that i just rattled off i i personally love people who are trained in theater you know for when i was able to select vendors or um, collaborators i often worked with a group called ionic in new york who are it's brian tovar and and other designers but they're they're trained in theater so they they know how to create a sense of drama and spectacle and um, really care about the emotional life of uh, of the audience member um, the other dis- the, for, again I'm a theater nerd I love it I like to work with theater people the other disciplines I mean I've seen everything from street artists um, be involved in this work to um, people who have familiarity with mud runs, to graphic designers, to architects. Um, and then as I'm just talking through it, yeah, it, it, it sounds like there are a ton of disciplines that are welcome in this. Um, food, food artists, molecular, gastronomical, um, culinary artists. Yeah, I don't know. I think. It's everything. It's everything. It reminds me a bit of um, the concept of opera being work. Yeah, that's exactly. You know, great opera is it's architecture plus musicians plus scenic design plus it's everything. Yeah, it does feel that way. Yeah, there's there's a a total. I mean, that that was always total art. Total art. Total theater. Yeah. You know, William Kentridge. Yeah. Yeah, that was the thing. Like when it was, uh, you know, opera was like the queen of the arts, and then like film came up and like brought in even more disciplines and i feel right. like this is this form whether there's performers or not like takes it that next step forward it's I like think what so. if we just what if we just like take the audience out of their seats and just like have the whole space be yeah. be the playing space and the environment integrate the environment into the story i think that's exciting or people who are doing that really well which punch drunk does so beautifully they oh. know like it, they do it so well the space it feels like tells the story or the space is it's like a, it's, it's, also, it's almost like a really romantic notion the environment influences or or echoes the emotional life of the characters and um, 
yeah, it's exciting that we're incorporating that into our understanding of theater now. It's not just the book, not just the music, not just you know the action on the stage, but the whole world, the whole yeah. universe of it. I mean, it feels a, like total art. A great a great set designer will manage to like tell part of the story in the set or in like the progression of the set over time, but. Mm-hmm. It's it's something different when it's environmental and you're you're telling the story of the world that shaped these people, you know. Right. Or you're riffing on the space you have to figure out how it shaped those people, how it shapes. The or action. the space tells you clues about the characters. Or the more you explore the space, the more you understand the characters. Um, again, Punch Drunk does that so well with the details in the scenic design. You start pouring through it and you learn more about the character of the, that you're pursuing or that you're invested in. Or um, <laughs> it might throw you on a wild goose chase. <laughs> they're known to, to set people on. Yeah. it's one way of dealing with crowds. Yeah. Um, <laughs> get them going the wrong way for a minute. Where, where do you see... Where do you see this kind of work going i mean we we have this explosion right now is this right is this something that's just going to be like it's a it's a fad it's it's going to be just because of because of I the don't need think for it's Insta. a fad i don't think it's a fad i mean mm. if you look at american theater or american music theater it feels like every generation or every um every so often it adds a new appendage you know it started off as really vaudeville mm. and then you layered in a book like with Oklahoma, then a book came along. And then um, the music started becoming more cohesive. And it just feels like... And then in the 80s, the, the set started dancing. It wasn't just the actors that were dancing, but the, the set started coming alive. And it feels like now we're just... All that action's pouring out into the house. Um, I don't think it's going away. I think we're just going to add to it. I don't know what the next level is going to be. Mm. Is it going to be a more considered integration of of tech possibly possibly is it going to be a digital audience that's going to be involved in it somehow maybe um is there any threat that like this sort of you know experiential installation work could detract from the theater side and like people getting that thing they want of having an embodied experience in just that or do you think that it might actually feed a desire to have narrative or have human interaction experiences happen within those spaces because that's the thing I you're too smart for me say that again yeah (laughs) no see this is because it's something I'm trying to figure out right and I'm hoping because you've worked in both worlds you can help me understand is that you know I, I see one there's an issue of capacity right like uh-huh. you can put a hell of a lot more people through museum ice cream or 29 rooms yep. or candidopia or, or, yep. or any of these things uh, than you can through sleep no more on a given night right okay. you know um, pound for pound we can just push more people through you know for the most part yep and definitely on you know for the non sleep no more scaled immersive theater stuff like yeah way more people like just eclipses right. So I wonder if, if the special thing is this sense of being surrounded by that world, right? Will these experiences fill that need for people who go to I things like, like the theater side of it? Or 
will we be pushing all of these people through these spaces and then they hear, well, you know, there's there's this place you can go where it's like this, but there's a story or it's yeah. like this, but there are there are characters you get to meet. Right. Like, I don't I think they're yeah. very different experiences. Mm. And I don't. Hmm. How do I word this? Something where you're pulsed through and you're an individual going through it and you're interacting or maybe with a small group of people that can be lovely and fantastic and can be really fun. But I don't know if you get that communal social experience, that transcendent experience where you're giving up your social self and you're finding that you're part of a bigger collective group in real time Mm -hmm. that you get in theater um, or immersive theater. There's something... Or in sports. Or in sports, yeah. Not that I'm a huge sports ball guy, but yeah, that same... Yeah, that... uh, um, It's what... Barbara Ehrenreich, is that the author? Mm. Dancing in the Streets, which she calls collective joy or those moments of group ecstasy yeah. where you're you're a part of something bigger than yourself. I mean, yeah. that's a that's an ancient need that we all have. Oh, the point of catharsis in the theater wasn't individual catharsis, it was the group. Absolutely. It was like yeah. we're we're going to experience this story together, we're gonna to be moved yeah, through these emotions. The presence together. of the gods. The gods yeah. are gonna talk to us as a people and we're gonna learn and um yeah that's not going anywhere that's always been there. <laughs> you know like i just think it's a think this is a new thing i think yeah. these new exhibit style productions are it's a new thing and so we're playing we're having fun with it we're just like playing around learning how the rules work and yes it might pique curiosity for people for whom that's their point of entry and maybe they'll go then say oh but how cool would it be if the Museum, Museum of Ice Cream had a story to it. How awesome would that be? And then maybe someone will create it, or maybe they'll go seek out an immersive theater piece on one of your listings. You know, we don't know yet. It's too early. Yeah, it's the early days. That's one thing that's exciting about it is that is that there there's all this different work happening across the spectrum. Yeah, physically, digitally, over in the theme park world, and it seems to be responding to. A need we have, right? But but what is that? Need? But what is the need, right? I mean, I, I think it's a need to to be embodied and connected with with other people, or or also to connect to space because we spend yeah. so much time in our screens. It's like there's a there's an irony to the fact that like people are um, people are using places like the Museum of Ice Cream as like you know you know a, a, a selfie Instagram mm-hmm. booth, but at the same time, you know it. It requires like there's there's only so many just pictures of your own face you can take, you yeah, know, before, or or before, yeah, you, you get bored with it. Yeah, you got to get a new background if nothing else. And yeah. so like the, the need then gets it's like the baby steps into like well now maybe be here and experience this this thing we built for you. Yeah, you know. Um, I'm so interested to see where it's going to go. I mean that's why I'm interested to go see Happy Place and. I haven't seen Color Factory yet. Um, I can't wait to see Candytopia. I just, you know, it's yet another 
iteration or another generation. I mean, maybe not a generation, but it's another phase. So everyone's been able to see 29 rooms and Museum of Ice Cream and see how that's played out. Yeah. Now what is the next wave of people? What do they have to say? I can't wait. What's exciting on some level is like not even all that many people have gotten to. Right? I mean, that's the oh, you know, really? well, museum. I mean, a lot of people have, but like compared to like the vast numbers of human beings, yeah. you know, in, in a city. Oh, yeah, that's true. City, that's true. You know? Absolutely. Yeah. It's like. I guess can, in my little uh, corner of the world, it feels oh, like yeah. everyone's seen it already. Oh, no, it's even smaller in like <laughs> LA's immersive theater scene. Like, you know, the, the, there's the usual suspects who see every show, and then everyone goes, feels like, oh, we all, we all seen this before. And it's like, uh, we all have, but <laughs> yeah. there's a bunch of people out there who've never been to one of these things before. Right. And they're just uncovering. And that's why it's exciting to watch Museum of Ice Cream pop up first, you know, mm-hmm. you know, in New York, then it came to LA. I think it's popping up to San Francisco. Yeah, it's, um, uh, they just announced Miami, I think, is the next stop. Oh, wow. So. Yeah. Yeah. And then, um, I mean, 29 Rooms is going to open here in LA. Absolutely. Um, yeah. So, I mean, the, this expansion is happening and like more, more audiences more cities more more places i think you know i think it's great i think it's i'm I'm excited about it i think more people to me it feels like if nothing else people care about experience they care about doing things maybe more maybe more so than things um it's a question i always Mm. uh wonder but you know, it's the experience economy. It's the experience generation. People want to be out and about doing things yeah. um, rather than just buying stuff. So I think that's one of the things that tickles me about it. Um, yeah, I think we're just getting started. Yeah. All right. Vance, thank you so much. Thanks so much for having me over. Yeah. I appreciate it. Once again, want to thank Vance Garrett for being our guest on the show today. Hey, um, here's my part of the show. Uh, I'm I'm a little burned out right now. I'm just gonna um, I'm just gonna go cop right to that. You can hear it in my voice. Uh, it has been a long slog, and we didn't really take breaks, and we are currently hip deep in immersive design summit stuff for January. And, uh, yeah, my batteries, they're drained. They are, they are drained at the moment. Um, Vance and I recorded that interview last night. Um, and as you can tell, like I'm not at the top of my game. So we're taking a bye week next week and we are going to bank up on some more interviews. Uh, we're going to be talking with the folks at, um, rogue artist ensemble about Kaiden project. We're going to be talking with, uh, the folks at, um, uh, caught about their show. Um, we're going to get some more, uh, a segments in the show, some short interviews. Uh, there's actually a bunch of opportunities for that, that I just have not been able to have the time to go catch. So, uh, I've got to take a little time, a little time to look around me and, uh, make the show better because that's what you got to do. Um, the team has been holding down the fort on the website, Catherine and Anthony and Jessica and everyone else who's piling in, Lauren Bello, Carly, Alex, KJ, I'm forgetting somebody right now, Leah, Edward, 
it's 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 it still shocks me how many people have jumped in we've got other people are coming you the door is always open if you want to come by and 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 play with us um we're we're looking at some more options in terms of what we can do to help compensate the team um beyond setting aside like travel expenses in the patreon because uh the patreons you know the the Patreon could stand to be like 10 times bigger uh, uh, and and then we could start actually really paying people. So um, you're, you're going to look around and you're going to see that um, digital media is having a crisis right now. Uh, plenty of people are getting laid off left and right. Uh, budgets are shrinking on traditional and it's not even just digital. Uh, Vanity Fairs just got their, their editorial budget cut by basically a third. Um, Meanwhile, we've got uh, the FCC making it possible for one company to own newspapers and tel- more than one television um, station in a single market. Um, you know, these are dark freaking times right now. So um, maybe maybe it's okay that I'm just like, well, oh, God, what are we going to do? Um, and take a step back. Um, but only back for a week because we can't leave you hanging. Um and there's a lot of interesting stuff going on. Um, you know, it, it's it is fitting that we had Vance on because indeed Candytopia is opening up in LA. So is Twenty Nine Rooms. Uh, you know, all the all the spots we talked about, and some of these are are places where digital media, like we mentioned in the interview, comes down from on high and, and touches reality. Um, just today, they announced the name of the of the Star Wars land, um, ba- Batu. Which led to a Twitter joke of like, is is a native of Batu a uh, Batu man? Ah, um, little joys, everyone. Little tiny dumb puntastical joys, uh, and and at the same time they they dropped crate and uh, and Batu into Star Tours uh, all of a sudden. So um, there's there's this there's this transition. You know, if we want to get philosophical about it, you know, we're looking at the the next or or the or or the consequential phase of the internet and of the digital conversion. Um, there's just too many publications. There's too many publications all trying to do the same thing uh, with clickbait and just content for content's sake, which is something that you know we we try not to do. Over at No Pro, the show wire is our chattiest part. Um, that's designed to help people find out what's going on, but we keep it really simple. Um, in the same breath, we know we've got to spin up the amount of work that we're doing on the website. So we're looking to a few things that are going to make that possible because there's something about being able to live inside a world all day long. I think about how I treat, um, say, io9 or a Newsarama. Uh, some of the science fiction and comic book sites that I'll check four times a day. Why? Because I I hope that there's some new bit of news. Do the same thing with politics. <laughs> it's why we read Twitter. We we hope there's something more out there. Um, and the funny thing about being in in immersive land is that um, I there's no site that I go and check. I kind of run that site, so uh, I kind of look to no pro to to know, and then we got to kind of dig it out. So um, it's the the calling is there, and um, we just want to be ready for it. So look look soon to what we're doing to um, you know help keep our writers afloat. 
um, because those those rounds of layoffs and those shifts in the media space uh, they are they are directly impacting your team here. Um, not me, not yet anyway. Um, I can I can I can always suspect that something's going to happen, and uh, when that day does, whoa, Nelly, um, that is uh, not something we need to worry about. Though what we do need to worry about is making this whole thing sustainable um, for everybody and keeping this machine moving forward because we're kind of conjuring something out of nothing um and that takes a lot of will takes a lot of determination um so those of you the 101 of you who have backed this venture um i I thank you from the bottom of my heart um you definitely make what we do possible uh just you know realize that um you know this is true across the board. Um, if you want to have nice things, uh, get get ready to pay for them. Um, there's other stuff uh, in the immersive sphere. Um, there's there's some kind of big picture stuff I want to get around to talking about, and I think we will when we hit the after darks and the end of the years uh, segments coming up in December. We got some fun episodes on the books regarding that, um, and we're going to get a little philosophical, um, but I'm not quite ready yet. There's a couple pieces I need to write, um, some of which will pop up next week, and indeed, next week is Thanksgiving. We are taking a bye week. If there's some big piece of news, I'll drop in with a mini-sode, but I think we're just going to be quiet. Um, that's it. That's it for now. Um, we're just taking a vacation like everybody else next week, so don't. I know I made it like melodramatic, um, but my batteries are are fried right now. So um, I'm gonna I'm gonna go now. Gonna go do the other job, and um, gonna go see some shows. So until next time. Oh wait, 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 wait. The music for this and every No Persinium episode is by Chris Porter of the Speakeasy Society. The sustaining backers are Ross Sigworth, Bradley Smith, and Lonnie Hanson. You can contact us if you have uh, show information, a pitch, or, or anything of that nature. Um, email us at pitches at Uh You can find us on Twitter at NoPersinium. You can find us on Instagram, no underscore persinium. We are NoPersinium on Facebook. And of course, there's always everything immersive on Facebook, which you can also find at everythingimmersive.com. There's also the No Persinium Slack, which is particularly quiet these days, um, aside from some deep in the cut channels. Uh, it is a nice way to to direct message people, because uh, I do that all day long. <laughs> um, if you want in on the No Persinium Slack, just holler at me, or holler at us at pitches. At, no, holler at me, Noah, at nopersinium.com. Uh, I'll come up with a separate Slack one at some point. Um, you can also just like I think sign up for it if someone knows. Um, I think it might be nopersinium.slack.com. I think it's open now. Don't quote me on that. Okay, now we're done. Until next time, I'll see you at the show. <laughs>